Hi, Chris Fallotton here. So excited about our podcast. Hey, want to tell you about the School of the Prophets coming up August 8th through 12th. We do it every year. Daniel McCollin and I, we've, uh, we've done this for 15 years. And we really developed the School of the Prophets to help develop young prophetic people who actually have a call to be a prophet or a prophetess. And what we found is we've actually trained hundreds and hundreds of prophets over the last 15 years. Many of them didn't even know that they were prophets, and they came to the school, they got, they got equipped, they got taught, they got commissioned, and they're actually having a huge impact in the world. I want to invite you, maybe you have a prophetic gift, maybe you're in a church that doesn't even recognize prophets, this is a great place for you to come for four and a half, five days to be with other people who have a prophetic call in their life, many prophetic people, many prophets, men and women. And you're going to have a great time. I guarantee you, you won't be bored. Secondly, I guarantee you, you'll you'll be you'll be excited to see other people that are wired like you, and that are excited like you, and that have a call like you. So join us again, August eighth through twelfth. It will be at Bethel Church, and it'll also be online. So you can go online, you can do it live online, or it's also recorded online, or you can come live on campus. You can register at Bethel.com forward slash events. God bless you and have a wonderful day. If you'll turn to 1 Kings 19, I want to talk a little bit about Elijah because I think that we're supposed to be obviously a Jesus generation, but an Elijah generation, if I could say it that way. Um, I'll tell you the first part of the story. It's a popular story. It's a well-known story, so you probably know it. In 1 Kings 18 is the story of Elijah. And he has, in fact, uh, I think that story begins about three chapters earlier when Elijah arises on the scene uh, seemingly out of nowhere and he stops the rain. Jezebel and Ahab are the queen and king and they have turned Israel's heart away from God. And they are serving Baal and they are sacrificing children on the altar of Baal remind you of anything and finally Elijah emerges and he is sick of the immorality and the brokenness of his country and he stands up and declares it will not rain until my decree and by the way I don't know if you've done any study on this but there was there's no interaction that that's recorded between him and God about Elijah stopping the rain But it is recorded that God said in the old covenant, by the way, we're in a new covenant. Thank God for a new covenant. We'll talk about that in a minute. But God said in the old covenant, if you you serve me, here are all the blessings. And there's 11 verses of blessing. I'll bless you when you come in. I'll bless you when you go out. We often pray it. I'll bless your, your crops. I'll bless the fruit of your womb. I'll bless your finances. And this is, then after that, after 11 verses, there are 47 verses of curses. This old covenant, aren't you glad you live in the new? One of the curses is, if you serve other gods, it will not rain in the land. And Elijah, I believe Elijah, takes the, the law, this is the law of Moses, he realizes it's raining and we are serving other gods. And he takes, I think, this, he takes the Logos word and he makes it a prophetic declaration and the rain instantly stops. 
we could take a long time with this part, but I have a different part that it's going to take some time. So I won't give it a lot of time, but it doesn't rain for three and a half years. How great is the famine? It's so great that there is no food in the land. And literally people, the Israelites are cannibalizing their children. It's severe. And Ahab and Elijah becomes public enemy, number one. And Ahab sends out a whole search team, the armies of Israel, to try to find Elijah and ultimately kill him, thinking it will rain again if we can kill this prophet. Long story. Finally, Ahab shows himself and says to, I'm sorry, Elijah, shows himself and says to Ahab, meet me at Mount Carmel. And they get to Mount Carmel, and Elijah says, gather all, thank you, baby, 47 years. Been together for 52. Yes, yes, she was 12. (laughs) Elijah says, gather all the prophets of Baal, and let's have a showdown. And I'm sure that you're familiar with that story. They have this showdown, and Elijah says to them, listen, you build an altar, we'll build, I'll build an altar. You, I think 600 prophets, I think. You, you prophets, you build an altar to Baal, I'll build an altar to the Lord. You ac- offer sacrifice on your altar, I'll offer sacrifice on my altar. Whoever's God answers by fire, that's the God that Israel should serve. And so Baal, Baal's prophets they rave all night trying to get Baal to answer. And Elijah, he yells things like, maybe they're in the toilet. It's actually what he said. Maybe they're on vacation. And he's taunting them for hours. And by the way, it says that Elijah gathered all of Israel to watch this display. After hours of them cutting themselves and blood running through the trenches, describes this gory, you know, ritual of them trying to get their God to answer. Elijah goes over, builds a simple altar, and then tells them and puts sacrifice on the altar and says, hey, get water and pour it on mine. (laughs) And they pour the water until it says it filled up the trenches. Like the sacrifice was under the water. And then Elijah goes, hey, God, uh, show me you're the Lord. Like, no Pentecostal prayer, just a simple Baptist prayer. (laughs) Right? No yelling, no emotion, in contrast to the crazy people that don't go to Bethel. (laughs) Boof, the fire comes down. It says it consumed the sacrifice, it consumed the rocks, and it quote, licked up the water. I don't know what that looks like, but the fire licked up the water. And then Elijah turns to the people and says, let's kill these false prophets. And they wipe out the false prophets. I know this is a little bit like gladiator, old covenant. Now we're supposed to love those guys. I think sometimes Old Testament's easier. more entertaining 
and they kill the false prophets. And Elijah calls all of Israel back to God. And this is one of those, this is the only day that I know of, there might've been others, the only day I know of that in one day, Israel goes from worshiping false gods to worshiping Jehovah in one afternoon. It is definitely the greatest single act of God in front of a crowd in the, at that time in the history of the Bible. And all of Israel turned to the Lord that day. They started saying, the Lord is our God, the Lord is our God. The only person who wasn't in the crowd that we know of was Jezebel. And Jezebel hears afterwards that all of her prophets are dead and that Israel is now serving the Lord. And she makes the statement, I'm gonna read it to you. She says, then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of those by tomorrow at this time. And the craziest thing happens. Elijah, Elijah has a nervous breakdown. He wants God to kill him. He tells God, take my life. I'm done. I don't want to live anymore. And God has to send angels to feed him and put him to sleep so that he can gain strength. Now, and then he ends up in a cave. I'm going to read you some of the verses. Verse 9 of chapter 19 of 1 Kings. Then he came there, speaking of Elijah, to a cave, and he lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Now, I want you to just stop and think about this for a minute. He says, they have torn down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword, and I am alone and left. I, I don't know what Elijah's thinking, but he's the one who killed their false prophets, tore down their altars, and all of Israel is now following God. That was about 18 hours earlier. And there's this thing I want to talk to you about in a minute. Verse 11 says, and he said, the Lord said, go forth and stand in the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by and a great strong wind was renting the mountains and breaking them in pieces, breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after a fire, the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after a fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in the mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, the voice of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Then he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your false prophets with a sword. And I alone and left. It's all me, wah, 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 send the ambulance. <laughs> Verse 15, the Lord said to him, go return to your way in the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive there, you shall anoint Hazel, king over Aram, and Jeru, the, the son of somebody. You shall anoint over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And it shall come about, the one who escapes from the sword of, of Hazel, Jeru, 
shall put to death, and the one who escapes the sword of Jezreel, Elisha, shall put to death. Yet I, I, but yet I will leave 7,000 Israelites, all whose knees have not bowed, bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. I, I just want to uh, talk a little bit about this because we're talking about Elijah the prophet is going to be sent to restore hearts. And I want to talk a little bit about why Elisha and what is the enemy of Elisha. It's interesting to me that the spirit of Jezebel gets on this great man of God and he retells the story. He believes a lie. Romans 8, I'm sorry, John 8, 32, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. The word truth there is not logos arema, it's the word reality. How many understand that Elijah is in bondage because his reality isn't truth? And he begins to be, have irrational fear. He begins to be suicidal, depressed, and he has irrational fear. As a matter of fact, he's so irrational that he can't remember that yesterday was the greatest victory in all of his life. As a matter of fact, he waited three and a half years for that victory. And this day, he's standing before the Lord, retelling the story that just happened. It didn't happen six months ago. It happened yesterday. And he's retelling the story as if he lost that battle and as if they killed all the prophets and as if he's the only prophet left. And actually the truth is they just killed all the false prophets and the only sacrifice that got, had fire on it was his. And what I'm getting at is there is a Jezebel spirit that's been released on the earth that is so irrational that it creates stupid things, says stupid things, ridiculous things. Scientists, psychologists, psychiatrists, political people are embracing things that are so ridiculous and outlandish that my grandfather, who was a farmer, would know better. But when a spirit of Jezebel is on you, you begin to redefine and retell your story through this spirit that's not just fearful and suicidal, it is irrational. And I want to point out that we are in a, we left the cruise ship three years ago and we are on a warship. We are on a warship. Listen, I'm not talking about, listen, if you think I'm talking about politics, I am not. You're not going to get me to die on a mountain that isn't in the Bible. I'm talking about an enemy that isn't visible, but is very tangible. And that enemy is pelting our nation, it is destroying our children, and it is, it, it is, taking, it is taking land like the spirit of Jezebel did in the old covenant. And by the way, I want to remind you that not only is Elisha in the new covenant, which I'll show you in a minute, but so is Jezebel. <laughs> okay, here we go. I'm trying. What is the Lord's answer to Elisha? To Elijah, what is his answer? God doesn't say, you're irrational, you're crazy, you got bad thoughts, you need a sozo? Okay, go down to Bethel and get a sozo. There was a Bethel there. Go down to Bethel and get a sozo. It's really weird what the Lord tells him. Good weird. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to your ministry and become a father. The answer for Elijah, you're going to see why God sends Elijah in the new covenant because he prepared him in the old. Yeah. 
Elijah's in a cave. He's terrified of Jezebel. He's, got, he's completely irrational. He's literally having a mental breakdown. And God goes, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go anoint Elijah in your place and get back to your ministry. He goes to Elisha, look at verse 19. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, while he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen before him. And he was with the 12. And Elisha passed over to him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen, ran after Elijah, and he said to me, please, kiss, please let me kiss my father and my mother and I'll follow you. And he said to him, Elijah says to Elisha, go back again for what have I done to you? So he returned from following him, took a pair of the oxen, sacrificed them, boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen, gave it to the people, and they ate. And he arose and followed Elijah. Elijah. Um, just if, you're, if, you're, if you don't know exactly what's happening here, Elijah, he sacrifices 12 pairs, 24 oxen. Um, he's uh, burning his bridges. He can't go back. He's not like, well, let's try this church. I might want to be in the ministry. This feels like a good career. I'll go with you. Things go well. You got an HR department, right? <laughs> he literally destroys his ability to go back. He offers the oxen up to the Lord. He doesn't even sell them and think, well, this will fund our ministry. He offers them up and goes, I'm with you. I'm leaving my mom and dad. I'm leaving my, my job. I just burnt my equipment. I'm with you. And Elijah says to Elisha, what did I do to you? And let me say this, until you can see what can't be seen, you can't do what can't be done. Elijah puts his mantle on him, and I'd like to point out that his mantle passes later, so he gets to experience the mantle, but he doesn't get to keep it. Can I say it one more time? He gets to experience the mantle of Elijah, but he doesn't get to keep it. Look at, so, what happens? Elijah goes into the cave as a lonely prophet, believing that he's the only prophet left in Israel, but he emerges to cocoon as a father. Just short, eight short years after leaving the cave of gloom and doom, Elijah is surrounded by spiritual sons referred to as the sons of the prophets. Over the next few years, Elijah created a prophetic community in which gifted prophets became his sons, and an entire pro prophetic movement became his family. Look at 2 Kings chapter 2. I know we're jumping around. Are you guys bored? Or are you okay? I, 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 okay, now we're going to fast forward eight years. Okay, so from the cave to the commissioning of Elijah, Elisha. Okay, now this is eight years later. So we're fast forwarding eight years. It's 2 Kings chapter 2 verse 1. It came about when the Lord was about to take Elijah up in a whirlwind to heaven that Elijah went with Elisha to Gilgal. And Elisha said to, Elijah said to Elisha, stay here please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel, to this Bethel conference, for they are having a prophetic conference and I must go. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel with all the sons of the prophets in conference. Then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came to Elisha and said to him, do you not know that the Lord will take away your master over you today? And he said, yes, I know, be still. And Elijah said to, 
Elijah said to, to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho, and the sons of the prophets were at Jericho. Did you notice they were called the sons of the prophets? They were not at this time called the company of prophets. Why? Because prophetic ministry had become a family affair, and that family had become a prophetic community. Listen, I don't know if you're getting this, but you already got the whole story. Like, we have to move from prophetic ministry to a prophetic family and become a prophetic community because we are in the business of restoring families, and you can't restore what you ain't. The sons of the prophets at Jericho approached Elisha and said to him, Do you not know that the Lord will take away your master from you today? And he answered and said, Yes, I know, be still. Then Elisha said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I am not leaving you. So the two of them went on. Now 50 men of the sons of the prophets, now 50 men, do you get this phrase? The sons of the prophets, no longer called the company of prophets, the sons of the prophets went and stood opposite them at a distance while two, men, two of them stood by the Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and folded it together and struck the waters. And they were divided here and there. So the two of them crossed over on dry land. I, I, I just want to give you a little summary if you haven't read the story before and you're not catching what's happening. So Elijah and Elisha are traveling from city to city in something like a farewell tour, right? God... Elijah knows he's going up. He hasn't told Elisha or anyone else. But are you getting what's happening? Revelation is now passing relationally. Let me say that again. Revelation is now passing relationally. Elijah is not telling them, I'm going up in fire. But everywhere he goes, even to another city, they walk 30 miles to another city, and the sons of the prophets that are there no, Elijah is going up. How do they know that? Revelation has become a family affair and it's passing relationally. It's called impartation. He's not teaching them. It is coming, it's coming through osmosis. Are you with me? Like they know things they shouldn't know. And it's not one, they all know the same thing. And the second thing that stands out is that Elijah is trying to ditch Elisha. He keeps telling him, like, we didn't read the whole thing. He tells him, I gotta go to the bathroom, stay here. He goes, oh, I'm in there with you, bro. It's a two-holer, I'm, I'm with you. And did you notice, he, in all three cities, he tells him, stay here. Stay here, stay here. And all three cities, Elisha's like, you ain't losing me, dude. I'm with you like white on rice. <laughs> Flies on, you know, anyway, let's just move on. Have you ever asked yourself, why is Elijah trying to ditch him? Have you ever asked yourself, why is he trying to ditch him? Does he not want him with him? And I'd like to, I'd like to propose that Elijah was testing Elisha's desire for relational connection, for he knew that Elisha, to keep the family of the prophets healthy after his departure, relational connection would have to be his highest priority. 
A double portion of his spirit can only be contained in the wineskin of a healthy community of fathers and sons. The sons knew by divine revelation that Elijah was about to make a dramatic exit to heaven. It is evident that, relation, that revelation became a family affair as God anointed a relational connection. The team of the prophets, the, I'm sorry, relational connection, the team of the prophets to share together in the mysteries of the kingdom. This, in my mind, is, that's the most profound point, right? It's not the point that you probably don't know. It's the point that we all need to remember. Let me ask you a question. How did Joseph of the Old Testament know how to interpret Pharaoh's dream? Have you ever thought of this? Like, Pharaoh has a dream, and all of a sudden, he knows how to interpret the dream. He interprets the dream of the uh, baker and the cupbearer accurately. Like, how did, did you ever think, like, what class did he take? Did he go to a conference? I, I'd like to suggest that it came to him through inheritance. His great-grandfather, Abraham, was a dreamer, and he heard the audible voice of God. And he saw open visions of God. His grandfather, Isaac, heard the audible voice of God, had dreams, and saw visions, open visions. His father, Jacob, spoke to angels. <laughs> had open visions, and had dreams. How did Joseph know how to interpret dreams? Nobody sat him down in a dream class. He was inherited in his family lineage. He had a supernatural family. His house was like the house of freaking Acts. Miracles, angels showed up there. Why? His grandparents gave him an inheritance, and it wasn't money. I'm pointing out that the sons of the prophets were experiencing something that they hadn't experienced before the cave, of course, but, they were, but Elijah went from being a lonely prophet to being a father, and the manifestation of that is that, they were le that he was leaving sons of the prophets, not a prophetic movement. He was not leading a company of prophets, like I've heard people say, oh, that's a company of prophets. No, it was the sons of the prophets. It was passing relationally. Deuteronomy 28, 28 says, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to us and our sons and daughters forever. What you're getting here is transferable. Are you with me? You can airdrop that to your family. I'm saying, when you get home, you just airdrop and just look for who's open. Who agrees? You know, and listen, you may try it with your children, you airdrop, and like, there's no takers. But you just keep trying. To one of your sons, one of your daughters goes, click on that, I don't know, crazy mom, when she went to a prophetic conference. And then they start having dreams and visions and angel visitations. You're like, yeah, mom, I got you again. <laughs> Second Kings 2.9. When they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, ask, what shall I do for you before I'm taken away from you? And Elisha said, please let me Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And he said to me, and he said, you asked a very hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be as you said. But if not, it shall not be. 
And they were going along talking. And behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. And Elisha saw it and cried, My father, my father, the horses and chariots of Israel. And he saw Elijah no more. And he took hold of his clothes and tore them into two pieces. Don't you love the Old Testament? Every time they have an encounter with God, they rip their clothes off. Personally, I'm glad we live in the new covenant. I've said this many times, but you know, when I was 20, I want to look good without a shirt on. When I was 40, I want to look good with a shirt on. And after I hit 60, it's just easier to close the lights before you go to bed. My father, my father, not my prophet, my prophet. My father, my father. The horses, chariots of Israel. And he saw Elijah no more, and he took hold of his clothes and ripped them. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and returned and stood on the bank of the Jordan. And he took his mantle, the mantle of Elijah, that fell from him and struck the waters and said, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he struck the waters, they divided here and there, and Elisha crossed over. Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to sons and daughters, and the hearts of sons and daughters to fathers. Who better to ignite a worldwide family reformation in the last days than a prophet who turned Israel back to God with signs and wonders and yet knew the deep despair of fatherlessness because he lifted himself. There's a powerful weapon that's being employed by the enemy to disconnect this generation and undermine the inheritance that is assigned to pass from generation to generation. And that weapon is distraction. Remember when Elijah asked Elijah for a double portion, Elijah responded to him, this is a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me, when I go up, you will have it. The chariot of fire was a distraction that separated Elijah, the Elijah generation, from the Elisha generation. Yet the condition for a double portion of his spirit was rooted in resisting the temptation to focus on the fire and thereby keep his eye on the Father. Eight years earlier, in the cave of confusion, Elijah learned that God wasn't in the fire. The question is, did Elisha get the message? Thankfully, he did. Nowadays, there are many shiny things that separate the generations. And this has become Generation F, the fake, the fantasy, the fatherless, the fan page generation. Kids are being raised by their machines who they know their video games better than they know their parents. 
the side effects of being raised by, a video, by video parents is that you don't know how to be a reality man. Cyber distractions have led to relational disconnections, which have undermined the double portion mandate, leaving boys ill-equipped for manhood. But the good news is, but the good news is, Elijah is coming. Good news is that Elijah is coming. In Matthew 17, Jesus goes up on the mount of what? Transfiguration. He goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He brings, he brings Peter, James, and John. If he had Ringo, it'd be a ban. <laughs> when he gets up there, he meets two people. You remember who they are? Moses and Elijah. Why was it Moses and Elijah? Why wasn't it David? Why wasn't it Enoch who walked with God and was no more? I mean, why wasn't it, why wasn't it Abraham the father of faith? I'll tell you why, because Moses represented the law and Elijah represented the prophets. And how many know the Lord came to fulfill the law and the prophets? Peter gets nervous and Peter does what I do when I'm nervous, the opposite of what my wife does. I talk. When I get nervous, I externally process and make everyone around me nervous. I talk mohills into mountains and wonder why I'm in such a deep valley. So the Lord shows up, you know the story. He shows up and his clothes shone. That he began to glow, literally glow. In fact, one of the, one of the gospel writers says, like the sun. He was glowing like the sun. And Peter, the other two guys are quiet. Peter's like, well, I think what we should do now the proper response here, bro, is take an offering to build the church, one for Elijah, one for Moses, and one for Jesus. And you know you're not having a good day when an audible voice from heaven, who identifies himself as God, says, this is my beloved son, who I'm well pleased, listen to him. Point is him. They come down from the mountain. It's so interesting. They saw Moses and Elijah, heard an audible voice. Jesus turned into the sun. I mean, I don't know what else happened, but I mean, that had to be one of the wildest demonstrations of God himself in the entire Bible. And what do they ask Jesus about on the way down from the mountain? When's Elijah coming? Just a conversation. The disciples heard this. They fell their face to the ground, terrified. Jesus touched them and said, get up, don't be afraid. And lifting their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus alone. They were coming down the mountain and Jesus commanded them, said, don't tell the vision to anyone till the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, said, why did the scribes say that Elijah shall come? And he answered, Elijah is coming and he will restore all things. Elijah is coming and he will restore some things, most things, all things. But I say to you, Elijah already came. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man's going to suffer at their hands. 
And the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. Okay, follow me. Elijah's coming, he's gonna restore the hearts. They come down from the mountain, they've just saw Moses. They saw Jesus shine like the sun. They heard the audible voice of God. They got one question. When's Elijah coming back? I'm saying the hope of that generation is that Elijah's coming back. <laughs> Are you with me? Elijah's gonna return and he's gonna restore all things. And Jesus repeats the Malachi verse in, 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 in a commentary. Yes, Elijah's coming and he's gonna restore all things. Because remember Malachi says he's gonna restore hearts. Jesus said all things. But he came already and they didn't recognize him. And the disciples knew that he was speaking of John the Baptist. Was John the Baptist? Was John the Baptist reincarnated Elijah? No, but the spirit that was on Elijah was on John. What was John called to do? Turn the hearts back to God. Make the crooked places straight and the rough places smooth. He preached in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord and the mantle of Elijah was on him. Why? Because he was restoring hearts. Huh. Oh man, are you with me? I believe <laughs> Matthew eleven fourteen. Jesus said, if you're willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who is to come. And then he goes on to say, but Elijah is still coming. That's a confusing verse. And by the way, they asked John, are you Elijah? He said, I am not. <laughs> Jesus said, you are. <laughs> the angel of the Lord prophesied to Gabriel that the spirit of Elijah would be on John. Jesus said, Elijah came through John, but then he said, but he's still coming. I, I wanna read you just one or two more verses. In Acts 3.25, Peter has just preached. Remember the man at the gate, beautiful? He walked and leaped and praised God. Yes, Chris, we do. Are you guys tired? Are you okay? He walked. He leaped and he praised God. It drew a crowd of thousands, actually 5,000 get saved. And Peter preaches to them. Here is the last sentence of Peter's sermon. It is you who are the sons of the prophets, of the covenant which God has made with your forefathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Where am I going? I actually believe that God's answer, every time the world was in trouble, God's answer was the prophets. Abraham was a prophet and became the father of faith and the father of nations. When Israel was in Egypt in trouble, who did God send to release them? Oh, Moses, funny, he was a prophet. And who, when God wanted to create a nation, who did he make leader of the nation? Funny, Eli, the prophet, became 
the judge, first judge of the nation. And when God wanted to kill a giant, who did God send? David. Isn't it funny that Acts 2 says that David was a prophet? And when God, when the people of Israel were serving other gods, who did God send? Oh, Elijah, the prophet. And isn't it funny when Jesus was born and God wanted to prepare the way for Jesus, who did he send? A pastor, a shepherd, a teacher? No, John, the prophet. And what am I getting at? I'm saying that when in Acts 2, when God poured his spirit out on all flesh, do you remember this? And they each heard them speaking in their own language. Listen to this, and I'm quoting from every nation under heaven. Peter stands up and he preaches. And what does he say? He says, these men are not drunk as you suppose, but it shall be, and he quotes Joel, in the last days that I'll pour out my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and daughters shall what? Teach. They shall preach. Ah, oh, they shall prophesy. And young men shall see visions. And old men, they'll have dreams. And even on your male and female servants, I'll pour my spirit out in those days and they will prophesy. And I will display wonders in the sky above, signs in the earth below, blood, fire, vapor, smoke. The sun will turn into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious, the great and glorious, not great and terrible, the great and glorious, the day of the day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls, help me, on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't it funny? Did you notice that three times in the declaration, and they shall prophesy, and they shall prophesy, and they shall prophesy. As a matter of fact, Paul picks it up years later and says, you shall all prophesy. And what I'm getting at is that a prophecy is not something that God intended to get stuck in the four walls of the church. Are you with me? <laughs> Prophetic ministry is a manifestation of our call to disciple nations. It happened in the outpouring that everyone heard it in his own language. I'd like to propose that God wasn't just pouring his spirit out, he was healing the nations. I'd like to propose that Peter understood that the outpouring of the spirit was the manifestation that the spirit of Elijah Spirit of Jesus, of course, was gonna be on everybody. I think he's saying, try to stop that, Jezebel. Not on, it. Jesus said, it's on John, but it's not just on John. Hey, John, is it, are, you the, are you the prophet Elijah? No, I am not. Jesus said you were. Yeah, well, I'm not. <laughs> Jesus is wrong about that. <laughs> and no, if you can accept it, this Jesus, that John, Jesus said, if you can accept it, John was Elijah coming, but Elijah's still coming. Okay, and I'm pointing out that we are under the fountain of the spirit of Elijah, which is the spirit of Jesus. It's another way of saying it. I'm saying there's a DNA for the restoration of families. Are you with me? <laughs> Prophetic ministry is a manifestation of our call to disciple nations. It was never intended to be a light contained under a basket of religious protocols carried out by domestic kitty cats. 
Prophetic ministry was birthed in the prison of slavery to free people from demonic bondages from the pharaohs of this world. It frees captives, releases prisoners, and puts people on the path of, divine, of their divine purpose. Come on. Prophetic ministry is, the, is eyes to the blind, feet to the lame. Come on. It calls things that are not as though they are. It gives hope to the hopeless, courage to the oppressed, and vision to the faithless. Prophetic people, come on. Spitting. Prophetic people arise in, in darkest of times and bring light to the lost and love to the lonely. Prophetic ministry restores hearts of fathers to their families. It's the catalyst to clarify and the it is the catalyst to clarity and the cover of vulnerability. Prophetic ministry covers the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. It inspires people to greatness and challenges and challenges the status quo of culture. This is what we're doing. We are not just giving kind, nice, prophetic words to people. We are the Elijah generation, and we are returning hearts to fathers. We are breaking the spirit of Jezebel over our nations. And I'd like to propose that we have left the cocoon of the cave, and we were not in a transition. We were in a metamorphosis. And I want to say to the devil that you are going to be sorry that you pushed us into a cave because you have no idea what happened in that cave. We went in a caterpillar. We went in a worm, but we did not come out the same way we went in. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you want to find out more, read my blog or listen to the previous podcast episodes. Go to chrisvelleton.com. Have an awesome day.